I always say I have the best job in the world. I get to help women unlock their limitless potential so they can have it all. If your mind is saying you can't have it all, that's fear running the show. I'm here to tell you, the only thing between you and holistic success is you. The doors to Limitless Warrior are officially open. Join Limitless Warrior. It's time to dig deep and shine bright. It's time to permanently break up with fear. If you want all the holistic success you've been dreaming of, join us. It's a 12-week program, once a week, on a Zoom for 90 minutes. Get off that hamster wheel and be the limitless woman you know you are inside. The link to save your spot is limitless-warrior.com. Join us. Women aren't born warriors, we become them. And the road to becoming a warrior is bumpy as hell. Each week I'm interviewing women who through tragedy and triumph are leaping for greatness. Get ready to unleash your inner warrior. I'm Liz Swadek, and this is Conversations with Warrior Women. Warrior Women, thank you for joining me today. Well, today I'm going to talk to a recent friend, a new friend, but we're going to talk about when you are making a decision for your life that maybe isn't quote unquote, the right choice. What do you do when you want a non-traditional life? What does that look like? What about the people who decide they don't want to have kids or want to marry a woman or want to stop having a relationship with someone in their family? All of these choices are not traditional choices, but guess what? They're more common than you think. We're going to release some shame today. We're going to talk about alternative ways of living and being and working and having relationships and the freedom that comes from asking yourself, what do I want? What would be fun for me? And living that out. I'm excited to bring you this conversation today. Warrior Woman, if you had not done my 30-day challenge, go ahead and sign up. The link is in the bio to give you your little discount. It's a 30-day challenge to feel good. And who doesn't want to feel good? All right, let's get into it. But first, how good do you want to feel? Feeling good is not anything you have to earn, but it is an actionable choice you have to take. I am offering you the opportunity to join my Warrior Women 30-Day Challenge. I have chosen four superpowers to focus on for this 30-day challenge. Once you master even one of these, everything starts to shift. Week one is all about self-compassion. In week two, we're gonna talk about the importance of pleasure, why we think we have to earn it, and why sacrificing and suffering lead to burnout. In week three of the 30-day Warrior Women Challenge, we learn about abundance. In week four, you are going to learn how to access ease and flow. You can begin this 30-day challenge anytime you want, and you can even do it more than once. You can do it at the pace that works for you. Own your worth and own your life. Put yourself not only back on the list, but right at the top. I dare you 
You can access the 30-day challenge by accessing the link in the show notes. And because you are a podcast listener, you're going to get this for only $39. 30 days of working on you for 39 bucks? That is a hell yes. Okay, warriors, the challenge has been issued. The only question is, will you take it? Well, how good do you want to feel? Love you, warriors. All right, Warrior Women, today on the podcast, Holly Crebo. She is a certified coach, business development guru, and multi-passionate creative. Her career has spanned traveling the world within the Olympic movement to being the first employee of a celebrity athlete nonprofit. Her love and skill of connection, strategy, and growth led her to work alongside surgeons and executives to be a top business development leader for a Fortune 100 company. She is currently bringing coaching to organizations around the world and supporting women to shed their should shackles, yes, and lead their life. Holly is a TEDx speaker, coach, host of the online talk show Question Everything, and the founder of Hollygrams, Everyday Love Notes for Everyday Life. She lives with her wife, Katie, and her dog, Newman, in Houston, Texas. Welcome to the show. Hi. Oh, my gosh, Liz. This is the best way to spend my Friday afternoon with you. A hundred, hundred thousand percent. So Holly and I met at a women's event. We show up to it. We actually, it was a pajama party. It was a pajama party. And they were like, at this event, they're like, we're going to have a pajama party. I was like, it's so fun. So we show up. We don't even know each other. Mm-hmm. We show up not only in the exact same pajamas, but in like similar slippers. And we literally lost our mind. It was like someone had told us we were blood relatives. <laughs> this is your long lost sister, Liz. I was like, oh my God. We literally lost our minds. And we have turned this seemingly small thing into the biggest thing. We've taken a crumb and made it into a sheet cake, Holly. Oh, and it's a delicious sheet. It's like a two-tier sheet cake. It's like it's a two-tier shake and it's delicious. And these are the tops of the pajamas. I had yes. to. I She's had currently to. wearing them. They're a palm tree pajama. I'll, you know what? I'll put the link in the show notes because everyone should have these pajamas. They're fabulous. But they're the best. I'm so, so excited to have you. Since that moment, we've gone deep on so many subjects. I've been on your show, question everything. We've really like taking this to the next level. Like I'm so excited about it. So I'm so excited to have you on today. My sister in pajamas. Let's start from the beginning because this I don't know about you. Tell me about your growing up. Any clues to the woman that you are today? Oh, any clues? That's such a great question. So I am from Farmington, New Mexico, small town in New Mexico, northwest corner, small, you know, born and raised there till I was 18, left for college, had a younger brother, grew up in, you know, what a relatively middle class family. You know, my parents divorced when I was 14. And I think that's when I started to like see, oh, maybe like things aren't what I thought they were, right? Which I think does a great job at my parents protecting us from that. And I think I was a thousand percent just a little Holly. It's so funny to like go back and like, cause like the photos, I always feel boisterous. I love to tell stories. I love to write stories. I love to talk to people. Like I was chatty Kathy because I just would talk to anybody at any point. Right. And I think too, that's that this multi-passionate piece that I know you are, and I know so many women out there are, I mean, I think that was at a young age. I was always like, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try that. I'm going to try this. Maybe that doesn't work. Maybe I don't like that. And so I do think growing up, there was an inkling of who I would be, 
which is kind of fun to like look back. My mom, you know, every parent probably says this about their kid, but my mom was like, you immediately came out and you were just like ready to go. Like <laughs> from the very beginning, like eyes, you were just like, let's do this. And I think that's kind of really stayed with me. I love that. I love that. And I always talk to women like either I'm whether I'm coaching them or just on the podcast, we always uh-huh. talk about how the days of your career being linear are just like dead, dead, <laughs> dead and gone. Like it is true. We're all kind of multi-passionate. You know, we try to, you know, oh, I like this job. You'd like it for three years. Then you don't like it. Like, I mean, you know, and you change and you grow and nothing to be shamed or shame, yeah. have feel shame about more like to embrace it. I'm a multi-passionate, you know, entrepreneur. I think it's a great way to say it because I think they're, you know, back in the day, such stigma. Like if you changed, like God forbid you left a job, you know, that you didn't like, you have to just stay there. You know, you were supposed to stay at the same company and become the CEO. And that's the only path to success. That's it. And now it's so different. So I love that. I love that you knew that early on and you just embraced it and and did that. So you were taught that the American dream consisted of a house with a white picket fence and 2.5 children. Now yeah. I have a house. It doesn't have a picket fence. I do have two children, so I'm almost there, but you never wanted that. You never wanted that. Yeah. So you were taught that, of course, a lot of us were raised with that. You wanted something different. You knew you wanted something different. Tell me about that. I love this question. You know, I think we're all kind of, well, maybe not anymore, right? I'm sure your kids are seeing families, careers, opportunities different than maybe you saw. Right. Cause like, yes. we just don't see those things. Right. And my town was great. I had a, you know, I had a great group of friends. I had, I mean, overall I had a really great childhood. It was like, there was something when people would talk about things that I was like, mm, that doesn't sound fun. Like it doesn't sound fun to get married. It doesn't sound fun to have a kid. Like that doesn't excite me. Like my biggest, I was like, I can't wait to move to New York city. Like, that's just what I wanted to do. And I did it when I, you know, after college, but like it just didn't excite me. And, you know, eventually I think it would come to like terms of my sexuality. Like that was a piece of it. Right. That I was like, okay, that's different. I mean, it even took my, me 11 years to marry my wife. So it was like something, you know, and the kid thing, I mean, I remember like, I think, I don't know how the age high school talking to my mom and, you know, I was like, mom, I don't know that I'm going to want kids. And, you know, and she was like, okay, like, that's okay. And I was like, does that make me weird? You know, like, even then you're like, does that, cause it just didn't excite me. And like an eight to five didn't, I wanted to travel. I wasn't sure what that looked like. And so it was, you know, and also I think the choices, it was a little scary too, because the choices I thought that were different are also very socially stigmatized, right? Like my family was all nurses and I wanted to be, you know, an electrician or it wasn't, you know, it was something that I was like, wow, like what I want is not, I don't see it. And if I do, it's not super accepted or normal. Something I'm broken. I'm weird. Like what kind of woman doesn't want a kid, you know, all these things, but I just knew that the thought of not of, you know, of not living the way I wanted to just felt extremely trapped and extremely like, I remember way having dreams of having a kid and waking up and just being like a panic. And so and it's interesting, right? Because when you start to make decisions that aren't like other people's, not, you know, you, they, it makes them really uncomfortable too. Oh God. Yeah. It's very triggering for people. Uh-huh. And so, you know, I've had friends like, do you, I'm like, no, I don't judge you for have kids. You should have all the kids you want. I mean, there's a certain frame that I think are too many kids, but that's <laughs> just my judgment. <laughs> like, you know, 18 seems a lot. So it was kind of like, how do I maintain these relationships when we're kind of on different trajectories, right? Like people are getting married earlier. They were having kids. And I was like, I don't know what this is going to look like. Right. And also you you had brought up to me before, like 
the whole, it's the right thing to do. You know, mm -hmm. it's a right thing. So it's like, well, the right thing to do is to have the house and the 2.5 kids and to get married. So when you're not doing the right thing in quotes, right. I'm doing air quotes, everyone, when yeah. you're not doing the right <laughs> thing, then you're like, well, so then I'm going to be wrong. Like it, it's very hard to make decisions like that when mm -hmm. you don't see the examples, you don't get the validation. You're not like looking at all the, there's not like the, the gay couple next door, they've got a house and they don't have kids. They seem fine. Like it's it, that back then that was not like all available right. to us. Like now I feel like people can definitely see that example, mm -hmm. but back then that really was not the thing. And then, you know, you're worried about disappointing your parents and what are they going to say? And are your friends going to be like, what are you doing? You're not going to have kids. Like what? And you're like, you're saying very triggering. I mean, people who don't have kids are triggering for people who do. Cause we're like, you selfish, you're so selfish taking all the travel and the money for yourself. Now I'm like, girl, yes. I and love you it. Look so well rested. You're like, I'm my problem. I'm like, <laughs> totally. But like, honestly, it's, you know, that's what life is, right? Is we should right. all be making the choices that are good for us, not doing and th things that are not us just so we can say we're doing it quote unquote, right. Well, and you know, this is a fun, I think this is a kind of an interesting story because even, you know, at this point, you know, it was probably Katie and I probably just gotten married. We got married about five years ago. So I was probably like 38 ish, 37. And, you know, we were like, okay, so let's just go see, like, are we even able to have kids? Right. Like if we wanted to. Right. And so we're going, and so we go do all of our egg testing and they're like pork. I mean, God bless Katie. Her eggs are like a zero, like a one out of zero to 10. Right. You know, she gets the call and the poor lady delivering the news is like, I am so, so sorry. Katie's like comforting her. She's like, it's okay. We didn't know. And I come back and my eggs are fine. And it was so interesting because we go through all this, not a ton, but we go through this and I'm sitting there and I'm like, I have never doubted myself in any other decision. Right. I've always been really clear. I'm like, why now? Like why this? And it was so funny because we get these results back and we're sitting outside having like an old fashioned, my brother's over there. And I remember this so clear. We're like talking about it and I, it's kind of quiet. And I was like, should we put a pool in our backyard? And we never talked about it again. Never. Like no. the never came up again. I mean, maybe eventually, but not like, do we go back to that? Do we want to talk about egg freezing? It was, but no, not seriously. It was so interesting. Cause you could tell like that was kind of that piece. And then I swear from that moment on, like we applied for Katie applied for an intro. We moved overseas for a year. I started my coaching business. It felt like everything just like took off. Yeah. But because you shut yourself off from like, and also the, I think the torture of life, right. Is mm -hmm. to keep yourself in that questioning process. Sometimes you need to just make a choice and move on. It's not that you can't de decide a year later, you know what, actually I do want kids. I can talk to Katie. It's, you know, it's what's worse is being in the, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It's like, well, let's table that even for a year yeah. and like not even be on the, I don't know train. Cause it's just too yeah. much stress. Yeah. And I mean, that's the thing too, is we've talked about all the way in five years, if we're like, we want to have kids, like we'll figure it out. Right. Like we right. can all, like, it's not, you know, a kid having a kids a forever thing, not having them is not right. Uh, it's been such an interesting journey because when all of your decisions feel like they're on the outside <laughs> and people get the space to have an opinion on them and they always seem to is always been really interesting. Yeah. Well, as a parent, let me say, people also feel free to give me their opinion night and day about my own children. So it's the same thing. It's just on a different level. Yeah. So if you're willing, I want to talk a little bit about the relationship with your father. Um, I know he recently passed. I'm so, I was sorry to hear that. And we kind of talked about that a little bit when we met at this event and you actually spoke about it a little bit. Tell me about your relationship with him. I know it was complicated. 
Yeah, no, thank you for that. So I grew up and it was kind of like a daddy's girl. Loved my dad. We did sports together, watched Law and Order SVU together, like hung out all the time, you know? And then like, you know, I said, I, when I went to college, I started to like see this side of him that I was like, oh, that's interesting than the person I thought it was, right? Like you just start to see things as an adult and, you know, he got really, really religious. I mean, this was new, like he just picked it up like on the way. Kind of like in high school, like we didn't, we weren't really raised much in the church. Like we would go every once in a while, but it was like after my kind of, I guess, I don't know the exact timing, but it felt like when I left the house, he got really religious and it was, you know, and it started fracture. And then I came out like when I was in college. And so that kind of started this like fracture. Right. And it's been so interesting because I'm really trying to honor like what is my truth of this story and what is his because he's not here to share his piece of this. Of course, and le- and we know that what stories only our story only has one side, right? We're just telling our side of the story, and that's what it is, right? Yeah. And so you know, I just saw a lot of hypocrisy in his religious beliefs, and I uh, my brother calls me a principal avenger. Like when people aren't standing up, they say I get like real mad. So it was really hard for me. And principal like, avenger, you're standing in your beard like that. Totally. Superhero for principals. I'm working on that though, because it's not like super energy, you know, giving to me. So, you know, that is, we started to really drift apart, right. And this distrust, and there are some things that happened that like the trust failed. And, you know, we, I knew when we got engaged, he wasn't going to be happy about it. And that, so that was 2016, end of 16. And, you know, I did invite him to the wedding. I just sent him a save the date at that point, because that's kind of that where we were. And I got like a very, not just a I will not attend. I will not attend. And this is what I think of your relationship. This is what I think of your salvation. This is where I think you're As going. If he is in charge of your salvation. Yeah. yeah. So this is where you're going after, you know, when you're on this. So it was, so I took that in. And again, this is all in letters. Cause I don't think we, which I still feel good about. Right. Cause I don't, this conversation I couldn't have had it with him, you know, and I kind of really told him like, I'm onto your bullshit. I see who you are. Like you care, you say you care, but you don't treat people right. Like all this. And I got a response back that, you know, well, you're still wrong. And so after that, it just really shifted. Like, I was like, I can't be in this, you know, to not even acknowledge as part of my life was just very hurtful. And then from then on, we just didn't really talk a lot. Like, and it felt very triggering for me when he would call, right. Cause kind of pretend like nothing's happening. Like you can't just, you can't, you know, want to be a part of my life and then like not accept my life, you know? And so I think we t- I talked with you a little about, and so what was really complicated for me is that, you know, I went to see him, he, he died in March and we went to all our family, even my mom who had been divorced, you know, for 30 plus 40 plus years, went to see him and you know, I kind of thought there'd be some reconciliation and there wasn't, which was interesting. Ooh, yeah. And I think that my brother and I have like beat it to not beat it to death, but talking, I don't know that he knew how bad it was. His father was pretty abusive verbally. And so I think he did the best he could, right? Like he saw me, like, I'm great. My brother's great. He's like, I did a good job, right? I did a good and job. Scene. Nothing to say. Right. Yeah. Like, look at them. They're fr- And at the end of the day, he's right. Right. Like I have no complaints in my life. And he, you know, like we all have our shit we deal with. Right. Like that doesn't matter. You're raised you know, with perfect parents. And so when he passed, but I mean, I mean, it was therapy and coaching and years of like grief over a loss of a father. Cause it was, it, I think it would have been a lot different if I would have never had him in my life, but I'm like, I loved him and we had this thing. And then now we don't. And so like the grief started 10 years before he passed. 
Mm. It almost felt like when he passed, it was almost like a formality almost, which has been hard to like feel or not feel. Cause you know, I think if it was anybody else in my life, the devastation, I would have felt it a lot more. Yeah. I think that's, so, it's so hard, these relationships like this. And I've talked to you a little bit about this. Yeah. My father and I are, are not speaking right now. It's not my choice. Mm-hmm. I don't actually know why we're not speaking. I think it, I, it probably has something to do with politics, but I actually don't know. It could not be that. It, it could right. be like, he just doesn't feel like it. I have no idea. But my dad has never been the most engaged. It was really me driving the relationship, especially after mm-hmm. my parents divorced when I was 16. But, you know, I've said many times, like if my father were to pass away right now, it would be kind of a strange thing because in a way I, I have reached out to him. I've sent him a little text, put a little heart. I love you, dad. You know, I sent him an email at one point and I said, Hey, listen, you know, do you want to have a relationship? You're not kind of being responsive and either way, I love you. No mm-hmm. response. So mm-hmm. to me, I don't, I can't force a relationship with this man. Mm-hmm. You know, he, I know he does not like that. I live in California, that I am a Democrat. He, he does not like these things. That being said, he, I think he also is like become very reclusive. And I think he's kind of like, I don't want any drama and I don't want any trouble. Mm-hmm. And so as everyone knows, I'm a, so, a super big troublemaker. That's just what I am. <laughs> and, but I think it's good trouble. I, I don't think it's bad trouble. I, I don't yeah. try to hurt people, but I'm, you know, I'm part of the resistance. I'm over here using my voice. I'm honest. I'm even talking about, he, he would be mortified knowing that I'm talking about this right now. So mm-hmm. But I'm only talking about it, you know, as my good trouble for other people to, you know, we know people that have relationships like this that are broken, whether it's because you've made a choice your parents don't like or because of politics and, you know, the Trump, the Trumpism cult that, you know, is ruining families across the nation. I, I think it's important to talk about because I feel like I would be okay if he passed because I feel like what can I do? barring flying there and getting in his face. Right. And to me, it's his loss. And so for you, I really feel like it's his loss. Like I've never even met Katie. And just from what you told me about her, I like her. Like, I mean, to me, I feel like it would be a privilege to be in you, your life and Katie's life. And to me, like, that's like a privilege you give somebody like to know my son Landon or to know Coco or to know Brett. That's a privilege that you get to know about somebody's inner life and be accepted in and hear things and, hear what they're going through. And that's really a privilege. So when somebody says, well, I just don't approve of that. And I'm just, well, that's all well and fine, but you can still be in my life. Like you can not like this, this could could not like this, but you can also get to know Katie and probably like her a whole lot. Right. So there's a way to navigate those things. But I do think when politics and religion and whatever ideas, you know, people get, they let that get in the way of like their heart and their family. It's such a heartbreak to me because it's oh, such a waste. It's like such a waste. Such a like think of what he could have had. I know. And I think about that. I'm like, wow, like he could have been yeah. sitting by your damn pool saying, look at this girl. You did this pool. Right. You freaking realized this dream. Like you're a yeah. badass. I know. High fives. Right. And it was like so caught up in like this religion and I'm going to say a cult ish, right. That like, that's all he could see. That's all he could see. Cause I'm curious for you and your dad. And if you want to share like, is your dad like this with other people, this type of like cutting relationships off or does he have other friendships in his life? No. Yeah. 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 No, he doesn't talk to his sister. I don't think he barely talks to my sister. Mm -hmm. He's very closed off. Like, and he, 
I mean, I was close to my dad, but my dad is like very imposing, like of his views and his mm. ideas and things. He's a very threatening presence when he wants to be, but when he's out and social, like he's the, he can be the best storyteller. I get, I get a lot of my humor and my storytelling and all of this stuff that is me. Yeah. That's part of him too. Like he was really kind of like an entertainer. You know, he could captivate a table of people with a story or a joke and people would be freaking riveted. They just like, he was such an entertainer. And so it's so weird now that he's like this reclusive guy who doesn't really want to engage because I'm like, wow, you were like a showman. Like, it, so it's, to me, it's such a hard left turn. I'm like, wow, where'd you go? I also know that, you know, people who have been traumatized, which he has and had trauma in their family and had abu been abused which he had all that trauma, it becomes like such a weight and it becomes so painful that when somebody triggers something, right. Or when you have to like love somebody that you don't know that you can love, like they, they feel like a raw, like they have no skin, they feel raw and it's just too much for them. So yeah. I also recognize that it's just, it's something he's not even capable of. Yeah. And I think that's yeah. what I was right. like, he, I think my grandma gave him unconditional love, but like, that's it. Like nobody else in his life, but I don't think he accepted it either. Right. So like, how was he going to give that to me? Like right. he didn't they, they don't have it. That's the truth. They like, don't you have get it. it, but you're also like that fucking sucks. hundred <laughs> percent. But I will say this, you know, I years of therapy, which you've done too. Yeah. I will never forget. Like when my therapist was like, well, would you ask your dentist to do your taxes? And mm -hmm. I was like, what? She was like, yeah, would you ask your dentist to do mm -hmm. your taxes? I said, mm -hmm. of course not. She goes, well, that's what you're asking from your parents. Mm -hmm. You don't have it. You're yeah. asking them for something they don't have. And, you know, further into my coaching, and I really learned that like these parents are giving us the max of what they have. Yeah. That is just the bottom line. It's a hard thing because we want to make it about us. It's like, oh, they don't like me. It's about me, but it's really not about us. It's about that. They're giving you the max of what they had, the max of what they're capable of. And it's hard for us to believe because we're like, but look at me, I have this capacity. You know, I can do this. It's like, you can't have the capacity for both of you. Right. One person's got to have some capacity and some capability and he didn't have it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's so interesting. Right? It's like, like a withholding though. Yeah. And but it it's not like, probably the least interesting thing about you is that you're married to a man, right? Like, I don't cool, whatever. Like, so why is it like, why are you to hear, to have your father kind of, you know, like condemn your soul because of the part, you know, I was like the healthy relationship, but I, like you said, I don't think he was capable of anything more. Yeah. No. And I so I think was. Me, it was, I really, really, really didn't want an apology. I wanted an acknowledgement. Mm which is interesting. I was like, I don't need an apology. Like, I think he did the best he could. Right. Like there's a lot of stuff. I just want an acknowledgement of like, Hey, like I was full of it a lot of the time, <laughs> or I did do this and I maybe, you know, but it was like, I never accountability. Yeah. A little bit of accountability, which, you know, but, and you'll, this is kind of an interesting, I don't think I've even really shared this. So there was after, so, you know, he passed and there was some inheritance that he was going to get from my grandparents. Right. And there was a really a family concern that that was going to bypass my brother and I and go back to Africa where he had done mission work. And so we were like, that's going to be interesting. Right. And so he ended up, I think, I think he changed his will at the end and gave that to my brother and I, and so it just, I think, mm -hmm, cause it was, I called my uncle who's in charge of my grandparents estate and I was like, I got the will. I was like, it's Brent and I, and he's like, Phew. he's like, I didn't think that was going to happen. I was like, I didn't really either. So I think that was his show. And then the other pieces, you know, he had his like celebration of life all written out. Right. We knew what was going to happen in the past, like who was going to lead it. 
And at the end, he told my uncle he wanted this woman to lead it. And she was a gay pastor and he wanted her to lead the service. Holly, what are you even saying to me right now? No, I know. That is your acknowledgement right there. A gay pastor, a woman? Yeah, but she didn't do it because his church threw a fit and wasn't going to come and wouldn't let her in. My point is he was a gay woman pastor to lead his celebration of life. Holly, that is your acknowledgement. What are you even saying to me right now? (laughs) It's like him driving over your house in an airplane and saying, I accept you and I love you and I'm sorry. I know. And I think, no, I know. And I'm like, I think that has gotten me over the hump of like, just real mad about it. Right. Cause I'm like, Oh, like I wish he would have had more courage to talk to me about it. I think. I am sorry, Holly, but you are ignoring this. And I am telling you, this is huge. That's like a public declaration. That's even Mm -hmm. bigger in some ways for him to Mm -hmm. do for him. Yes. Yes. And maybe he was too terrified to tell you to your face, mm-hmm. accept you, I'm a dick, I'm sorry. Right. But the fact that he would not only give you the money, but also do that, I'm yeah, sorry. I, I would take that for everything it's worth because it's worth a lot. I do think that's why I'm like not as, because I was still afterwards like real mad, right? And left with some aftermath of everything. And so I think it's like that acknowledgement piece. And then I think understanding that it didn't happen because his church threw a fit about it understanding how interwoven he was into Trapped that he was that sense why he couldn't ever like publicly acknowledge you know and I have an uncle who's gay and my uncle's been amazing taking care of him and so I think it was a statement for everybody and I think it was like his way of showing his courage absolutely and rebelling uh, a little bit a little yeah yeah I mean I think what's interesting about that is you know you get older and you're in an organization like that and at first maybe it feels like support and it feels like a lifeline and it feels mm-hmm. like I mean even the people who were following Trump in the beginning you know I'm sure they're uh, like this is so refreshing he just says whatever he wants and yeah. he is so fun and he's cares about us and you know all the things and then after a while when you're in that kind of toxicity it starts to be a trap. And then you don't know how to get out because you're like, well, I can't tell people I want out because all my friends are in here and my whole world is this. And so it is really hard to extricate yourself once you've gone down that road for that long. Uh, well, I think too, I think he didn't, I think he told my uncle, cause he knew my uncle would understand, but I don't think he told his church yet people, because I, I don't think it's so, it's so interesting to have like the hindsight, which is night all the time. Right. But as somebody who probably for the past 25 years abandoned everything, just put all his money into her. I think for him to say, oh shit, maybe that's not right. Does that dismantle everything I've believed and all the work I've done and everything I've pushed aside, right? Like, I don't think opening up Pandora's box on your deathbed was probably not something that, which I get it. Like that is probably really scary. I'm also wondering, you know, again, in our hindsight, our, uh, Monday morning quarterbacking we're doing on this, you know, you wonder if he did say, okay, I accept this. I'll come to your wedding. Maybe he thought it would put you in jeopardy that you would be hearing from this church that you would be, you know, he would be scrutinized, but you would be scrutinized too. And maybe he just thought, you know what, I I can't go here with her because it's going to cause me a lot of stress and strife from this church. And possibly, I mean, you don't know, like these places Uh, feel this way and teach this whole salvation thing. That's what mm -hmm. I think is so crazy. I'm a Christian. I don't, I know that God loves everyone. mm -hmm. Someone tries to convince me 
that your salvation is, first of all, God loves a sinner more than anybody else. So God loves that, loves mistakes. He likes mistakes. People who have had a hard time, he loves that stuff. Mm -hmm. So to me, like when someone tries to, oh, your salvation's in jeopardy. And I'm like, who are you talking about? Right. Like that's actually not even a thing. So when you're taught something like that, it's a pretty black and white thing and they hold you to that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you give all your money and they're your whole world. That's your whole right. world. Yeah. And I think that's, that was his whole world, right? I think he's so like, Hey, my kids are grown ups. They're self-sufficient. Like I'm done with that. And now this is my family. And so yeah. I think, but yeah, we were self-sufficient, but that doesn't mean you still don't want the people in your life you love. Right. Like, absolutely. I don't need a dollar, but like, I want your, you know, but so, yeah, so it's been this whole full circle moment of things that kind of, you know, come up. Yeah. And then to kind of hear the celebration of life, hear people like in his church that were really important to him, kind of the same guy, like he was kind of always a little bit of a troublemaker, like he couldn't make, it was just so interesting. You're like, yeah. And even the pastor was interesting because I, in my eulogy, I kind of like, if you knew us, you know, we don't have a great relationship, right? I'm not going to stand up here and pretend and like it's some, and I still honor him in a way that I think he would have been very touched by what I said. And the pastor was like, I really appreciate you doing that. The guy who led it, he's like, I really appreciate you because I think that's the truth. And I think a lot of people would resonate with that instead of, you know, memorializing somebody in a way that didn't feel right. Right. Well, that's good for you because you definitely freed up some other people who maybe are going to go through. Mm-hmm. Tell me about this online talk show. I came on and talked to you, but I, I told you, I joke with you all the time that you're like a reporter. Like I can, t- I can feel your report. And you even did it to me on this podcast, which is even funnier, <laughs> which no one has ever done. What about you? Do you you think, I mean, you literally turn the tables on me. It's hysterical. It's part of your report reporterness and I love it so much. What made you start your online talk show question everything? Yes. Okay. So I did want to be Katie Kirk when I was younger, right? That's so that, that comes from naturally. And then I was journalism major. I worked in media relations. So I do have this like inquisitive and now I'm a coach and all this other stuff. So it was, it came out of a sessions with Tracy Litt. <laughs> it was wanting to do something, you know, I, I was in a transition kind of with like where I was spending my time business-wise and still wanting to play in, you know, this place of social media and what this looks like. And so, so funny, I was getting caught up in like, what do I want to do? And she was like, what would be fun? And immediately I was like, I want to have an online talk show. And I want to have talk about the conversations that make people uncomfortable, right? What is it like to be a black woman? What's it like to be a trans man? What's it like sobriety? Like, let's talk about religion. Let's talk about sexuality. Like those topics that are, make us uncomfortable. Right. And also the topics that we don't ever question, right? Like how does it, what's it like to question what your next phase is in your career? Right. Do you ever stop and question, is this the way I want my marriage to be? Really, it's people that I'm interested in that I think are doing things a little differently. And, you know, it's born out of being a child-free by choice woman and boring out a gay woman and having friendships, you know, with people of different that aren't just like, nor- I don't, not even normal, just like basic. <laughs> Traditional. Traditional, right? Which really, who knows what that is anymore, but still. Right. And maybe not even the traditional, cause I know like I'm probably as traditional as you come by and some of my like values. Right. But more so the topics that just make people uncomfortable. Like how do we have those in a way that opens up? So somebody can say, Hey, maybe I understand more what it means to be non-binary or what it is like to raise black children in America. Right. So, I mean, eventually I think I'm going to have a conversation with people that I really don't agree with, but I don't think I'm quite there. Yet. Working up to it. I'm working up to it. I'd like to think I'm emotionally evolved enough for that, but I don't know that I am. (laughs) (laughs) 
I love it. Okay. Well, that's exciting. So it seems like your career is going in a whole new direction now. So what made you change directions and what is next for you? Yeah. Well, I love, we, we talked about that linear piece, right? Like every five to seven years, I'm like, mm, let's do something different, right? Like I've shifted, I've pivoted, I've moved, like I've never followed a linear path. I've gone promotions. I've taken pay steps back. Like it started over as a volunteer. And so for me, it feels really normal to be like, okay, what's next? So I'm working with a coaching organization to kind of bring consciousness into the workplace, which has been so fun. Like, how do we create conscious leaders that are aware that are leading differently? And then just like having fun with my coaching business, right? Like starting question everything. I'm actually partnering. We haven't even really like officially announced it yet with Beth Graves. We're talking about doing a, like we were both avid tennis players. So we want to start some type of tennis social, I don't know what it's going to look like, but we're talking about like women in tennis and what that looks like. Hmm. So, you know what I'm like, what's next for me is following the fun because I can get, I'm a fun person, I think personally, but I can get real serious about professionalism. And I think that I was getting too bogged down in that. And it was not fun. Yeah. It showed. So for me, it's like, what is fun? And it's so interesting. It's like, once I've started to do that, like I've gotten clients out of nowhere, things have picked up. So it's like just releasing some of the things and like trusting myself right now. Yeah. I love that when Tracy asked you like, well, what would be fun for you? That's not a question that we normally get asked, right? Like most of the time it's like, well, what are your skills? And what do you think you need to make money? And you know, no one ever says like, well, what would be fun for you? Right. Cause I was like, well, if I do this and I need to do this and what would that look? And it was like, even as I was saying it, I was just like, oh my God, this sounds terrible. You know? And it was just like, so I think that's like, in, like I said, outside of the workplace, I think I'm fun. I like to have fun, but like I get real serious and you know, like, as we talk about where like nobody's getting out of here alive. So kind of embracing that. Yeah. And you want to be fun, Holly, you want to be fun, Holly everywhere. Do you want to be fun, Holly, everywhere and getting a little more politically involved, right? Starting to, especially in Texas with, you know, so trying to, you know, getting more involved in whatever it is I can because it's turning it blue. Yeah. Turning it blue, doing my part. So I think that's, what's coming up for me too. Yeah. I think some Texans are fed up right now with what is going on locally and nationally. It's ripe right now for some change. So I think you're in a good position to move the needle. Hopefully. I love it. Okay. Speed round time. Let's do this. What does it mean to you to be a warrior woman? Mm, Okay. So I am a warrior woman because I continue to trust myself. And the mic drop. Mm -hmm. Drop it. I love that. I love that. I've never had anyone answer like that. And Mm -hmm. I love that. I love Mm -hmm. it. Simple and true. What is a mantra or quote you live by? they're such good questions. I love it. Whatever you are, be a good one. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I love that. Whatever you are, be a good one. I also love if I can have one more that I think is really good to do is like how you do one thing is how you do everything. Ooh, that's a good one too. Which is then that's a humbling one. It's a humbling one (laughs) for sure. (laughs) Um, What makes you feel unstoppable? Oh my gosh. A, A really good workout like where I'm sweating and it's hard. And like, I, my breathing, like, I think like a really good sweaty workout, like makes me feel really good. Oh my God. I wish it really made me feel better. (laughs) What are you most proud of? I would say that my relationships building relationships is like one of my highest values and 
I'm really proud of those I've created through all aspects of my life. And I think I'm really proud of that. Every single person probably says the same things about me. So I think it's a very authentic relationships. I love that. What keeps you going when you're feeling lost? Mm. Mm. Sometimes a really good night's sleep. (laughs) So underrated, but so true. Sometimes we are literally operating on such low capacity that we start like crying and we're all upset. We don't know what's wrong. It's like, you're tired. You need to sleep baby, right? Are you hungry or are you tired? Right. So like like a good night's sleep. And then I think it's like stopping in and plugging into the things that I have done. You know, when you're lost, you're like, okay, remember what you've accomplished. Remember what you're capable of. So kind of like a review of a history. Yeah. Cause we can tell ourselves a story. I just had a woman today. She's like healing from some trauma. She just basically Mm -hmm. put it out there that she, you know, was sexually abused when she was a kid and she has not dealt with that. And now she's a grown woman and she has started over the last six months to really deal with it and heal it and all the things. Mm -hmm. And she's giving herself such judgment, you know, on like that. Why am I not over it? Like how long is this going to take? And I was like, hold on a minute. You ignored this and pushed it down for how many years over the last six months, you've literally done more growth than you have in your whole life. Right. Your own ass now. Hello. So sometimes you have to look back on what you've accomplished mm-hmm. versus saying, I don't, where am I? Where am I now? It's like the, where am I now question is not a great question or where mm-hmm. I, where do I want to be? It's like, yeah. no, look at what you've done. Look at what you've accomplished. Even if it's, you know, healing a relationship or leaving a relationship, like that's a big accomplishment. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes they're the little ones too, right? Like those little decisions are just like, but yeah, I think a good night's sleep and just remembering where, how far you've come and what you're capable of. hundred percent. What's exciting you the most right now? Oh, it's so interesting. Everything and nothing. <laughs> what personally, does that mean? Personally, everything, right? Like we just bought a new house, like work is going phenomenally well, health as well. And then also like just the world. So it's like, for me, it's like that. And I'm sure I'm, I know I'm not alone. I know that you feel this way too, is like, making sure that I don't get caught up in like, oh my God, the world's going to end. And also, you know, balancing that gratefulness and also, uh, yeah. So I think it's been interesting for me to kind of, cause you kind of, it's very easy, I think, to get kind of wrapped up in like, oh my God, Roe versus Wade and the shootings and climate change and, tr- and you're just like, whoa. And then, but, and then you pull back, you're like, but everything's going well for me. So kind of staying true to that, right? Like just staying in my own lane. Yes. So yes, yeah, so I think everything feels really exciting. Yeah. It's funny, Brett's, my husband's parents came here and it was my son's 16th birthday and Mm -hmm. they did this presentation where they dressed up in the clothes like they had worn when they were 16 and told him, (laughs) it was amazing, and told him what it was like when they were 16. And one of the things they were saying was, well, the Vietnam War was going on and, you know, Mm -hmm. there was desegregation and people were like, this is not going to work. And when I heard all that, I was like, oh my God, this makes me feel so much better. And they were like, why? And I was like, because you had a lot of turmoil and a lot of revolution happening, frankly, and a lot of new things that people were like really upset about or things that they were trying to undo or redo. And I said, it gives me actually hope because you know what? Change does not come like little bumpy, sweet, boop. It's not, that's not how change comes. It's revolution and a lot of traumatic things. So I was like, you know, desegregation wasn't easy. Martin Luther King dying wasn't a good time, but like, look at what that did. So I think it's kind of like, you know, looking at it that from that perspective made it a little 
easier for me to realize like, oh, look at throughout history. There's just always been a lot of like, there are times when things are super crazy. And as a nation, we're going through these major growing pains. So mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, that this, I mean, this is a major growing, growing pain. Um, hurts. I, think, <laughs> I think it's going to finally show women that we are the leaders we're looking for. Mm-hmm. You can no, no longer sit on the sidelines unless you want this to be this way. If you want it this way, great. If you don't, which is a lot of people in this country, then you are going to have to do something. And I think it's finally hitting home. Once we kind of get over the, like that we've been knocked off our heels <laughs> to this degree, literally. But I think we're all starting to, you know, get back and realize like, okay, time to get to work. Right. Like, I mean, I loved your show with Grace, right? Like yeah. if not, like, if not us who, like, I can't sit there and just like, like, we'll save us. And you're like, looking around on your couch. You're like, oh crap. I guess that's like part yeah, of all me. You know? Right. Am I the adult in the room? Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So I think I love that. And I think too, like you, but also this social media news cycle, right? Like they didn't have that back. I mean, I think it's just humbling. Like you said to be like, oh, this isn't unique to our precious little generations, but it just feels like it because it's all the time. Well, it's also in our face. In that generation, you had to choose to turn on the television. Otherwise you were like outside in your playing. So yeah. I think you're right. Like we are on, we are just ex- too, okay. we're too much accessibility. Like they can just get us, you know, like it just flashes across your phone. You're like, oh yeah, what's happening now? Yeah. So I think, you know, having those breaks, like you're saying the self-imposed, like go float in your pool, realize you're okay. Everything's all right right now. And not everything can be dealt with immediately. Things have to be thought out, planned shifted and we're not going to do any good if we're in a panic. So we we have to get ourselves to a place where like we're calm and peaceful within ourselves so that we can go forward and do things, right? We can't do things from like the crazy place, right? So I think it's important to, you know, enjoy your life, but also be involved and know, you know, that that it is you. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is the last thing I'll share, but like, I think one of the, another quote I would add in is, so I worked with a Olympic softball team and our coach is his whole thing. And I, I still use it all the time. is like control the controllables, right. And not control in a bad way, but like, what can, you know, I can't worry about some of this other stuff because that's zero to do with me, but I can like volunteer. I can be public in my statements. I can make sure financial, you know, so it's like, how do we control the controllables, which we have a lot more than we think, but not get caught up in just the panic. Yeah. All of it. Yeah. No panic at the disco. Yes, no panic at the disco. Holly, thank you for coming on today. For having me. This was so much fun. I love your show. I love the women you profile. You were doing such amazing work. So thank you for doing what you do. Thank you so much. And thank you for being an open book and talking about your father and all the things, because I feel like, you know, the more we kind of talk about this, you know, release the shame of some of this stuff, because really like these things do happen. It does happen in a lot more than we think. Yeah. And so we you know when you talk about it, you're freeing another woman, you're making her feel seen and heard. So I really appreciate you talking mm-hmm. about it. Absolutely. And I think it's a way of honoring him as well, you know? Absolutely. And I will never forget that he tried to hire a gay woman pastor to lead his celebration. Life. I will not forget this fact. I love it. Thanks. You love him. All right. You are the best. Okay. Thank you so much. And thank you for everyone for joining me today. Remember to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. And if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a five-star written review. You know the deal. This is the Conversations with Warrior Women podcast with me, Liz Swadek. And remember, every woman has a story. You just need to ask her. Bye.